0: Hi, I'm Michael LeFaver. Please make sure you've heard all six extended reviews of the first half of season 11 of Beyond Gilead before listening to this podcast. This is the final episode in this review series, titled, Ruined End.
1: Baseball season's
0: here. Should we overwork
1: ourselves? It's a great idea.
0: I'm Michael LaFavor. I'm Ryan Matlock. We're two hypocritical fans of Beyond Gilead. And today, we're reviewing 11-7 Foul Territory by Laurie Twitchell. So join us for episode 144 on our return to Gilead. This is the final episode, as far as I know, in this series of episodes. And unfortunately, this one may be the worst. This episode is foul. in a By way-
1: series of episodes, you mean group of bad episodes, not like the end of the season, right? No, no,
0: no, right, right. This is episode 7 out of season uh, 11. Um, John Morrison is destroyed in this episode. Do you know why? (laughs) You need a thumbnail. (laughs) Like, if this was
1: a YouTube podcast, you'd be like, destroying John Morrison with facts and
0: logic. Uh Uh-huh. So, um, John, let's play the clip of the day. We've gotta do this. Okay. We won't be able to build anything there at all. (laughs) At least not as we planned. We'll be turning the campus around. You oh. what? Well, you just can't build a road on a wetland. From all of our reports and information, it doesn't look as if it would support a two-track, let alone an expressway. Oh.
1: But we, we've never had any problem. No,
0: yes. Apparently it's just isolated to that specific area north of Miss Andrew's house. Oh. Well, how about that? Oh, I never would have imagined. Uh, so what happens next? I mean, you said something about turning the campus around? Yeah, that's what we're looking at right now. Instead of being right at the front of headquarters and living on a four-lane highway, mm-hmm. your road won't change at all, and you'll be living on the back end of things. Oh! And, Miss Andrews, I'm glad you never took us up on any of those offers to move you. It looks like you won't need to move now.
1: Praise God. Yes. Thank you, Lord, for taking care of us.
0: Amen. Thank you, Lord, for tearing down that row of businesses. Do John, they know about that now? Yes, John. John knows about that. He learned about that in the season 10 finale. And it gets worse. Do you know who would have to rezone that, that like, that plot? Because Monica didn't know about the rezoning, or Monica, did, Monica would have known about the rezoning if it had happened earlier, since she was so involved in it. Do you know who would have to rezone that row of businesses to be torn down because of eminent domain? Who? The mayor. Okay, so... So, walk me through this. When in the season 10
1: finale did John find out that the businesses were going to be torn out? The only other alternative
0: was a road on the east side of the campus, and that would mean taking out several businesses.
1: Okay. So, I guess. So, are you. Mm, it sounds like you're saying that John is fully aware of this. Yes in the moment like he's thinking about it right now he never has a
0: moment later on in this episode when he acknowledges it either
1: right but like my question is like i barely remembered it would he
0: well he's a hypocrite because he puts so much time into trying to defend gilead lane and all of a sudden once gilead lane is safe he forgets about the problem that this is still eminent domain this is still people being driven out of their their lodgings by the government and in fact, he may even have a hand in making it happen. Sure.
1: I guess the question is, where does he fall on that? Because he doesn't ever actually argue that imminent domain is a bad thing. Yeah. He argues for the case of Grace, like, hey, imminent domain in the case of kicking people out of their homes, uh, do you think there's any difference between kicking people out of their homes and rezoning a business district?
0: This is kicking people out of their homes. So How? Monica says a couple houses on a broken down old street are far different than an apartment building full of gainfully employed people. This is Richter oh, housing sure,
1: because she she runs an apartment building. I yes. Forgot about
0: that. W- what's to say that the, the two houses on Gilead Lane of people who love to live there are more important than people in apartment buildings who probably have a lot less money than the Morrisons and are going to need to have a like going to have a lot harder problem are going to have a lot greater trouble relocating than the Morrisons would have. Sure.
1: Well, so what about this, though? In the clip of the day, he says that they were going to move Grace to a different place when they have to do that for everybody in the apartment complex.
0: Yeah, yeah. Does that make it any any different? Because John seems to be really relieved about this. No,
1: it, it all goes back to whether you believe the imminent domain is okay or not. Like I totally disagree either way. Because I don't think that the government has any business kicking either group out of their homes. What I'm asking is whether John is a hypocrite because he wasn't saying imminent domain is wrong. His, I think, main concern was that he sniffed. He, he, he smelled something fishy because it happened so suddenly without Grace even having a chance to know about it or talk it through or, or get a proper offer for her uh, home that uh, was a fair assessment of the value. So by the time they were like, let's kick you out of your home, who knew what she was going to be able to get? And on top of that, her home had significant personal value, and also she's disabled. Yeah. So
0: I feel like he would have had the same problem regardless of whether it was sudden or not. Like Even if everything went through, and he was aware of all the rezoning and all of that, and somehow couldn't stop it, I still feel like he would be pushing back in the same way that he is in the season 10 finale. Okay. Like, do you not think he would? Do you think he'd be okay with it, if it were that amount of time?
1: I think that a lot of his outrage came from it being so sudden, like he was saying, how how could this go through without me knowing it and was doing his best to fight it, knowing that it had all gotten under his nose. And he was like, there there's no there was no sign. Well, that's part of that. It. That I think was the main driver of him being like, this is unfair. They can't do this because it doesn't feel like they've gone through the proper channels. And as such, this doesn't strike me as right for them to be able to do this, mainly because it seems to have gone so far under the radar and, like, no one who was involved had a chance to even speak out against it. Like, with normal eminent domain, if someone's like, hey, uh, we're interested in purchasing, like, uh, there's, there's two steps. It's like, hey, we're interested in purchasing your house. And then they're like, well, too bad you don't have a choice. But hmm. we never got through that first step. And so it feels like someone's just coming in and saying, you have no choice before even offering her a- an offer for her house, which is usually the first step before claiming eminent domain, is that they just try to buy it in like outright fairly. And the, the communication never got started, which is, I think, the main point of outrage for John initially.
0: I don't which, think so.
1: To be fair... That's not what's going on here either. Like, Monica gets the papers and she's like, What? Imminent domain? On me? And it's like, okay, I guess they didn't go through the right channels on you either.
0: Well, that's that's what's weird. I'll, I'll go to the John point. He finds out that there was a sign placed in front of Grace's house and there's a photo of it. And his only reaction to that is, Well, yeah, I, I guess it was there. Well, We still have to stop it. And then all of his talking after that is about, This is Gilead Lane. We want to save it. This is our... Like we live on this lane, there really mm-hmm. isn't a point where he says this is all sudden and seems suspicious. That's me. I've been saying that, and John refuses to follow up oh, on that part. that's fair, yeah, um and furthermore, if we're talking about like the previous couple episodes have been Mary saying, "Well, do we want our home to turn into this this business district or and like do we want it to be next to this this road this freeway and to have piece of heaven there? It's not gonna be safe for the it's not going to be safe for our kids to, to like go outside if there's going to be people there and yet that's immediately turned back around and john has nothing to say and may even be the one who's serving the eminent domain to this business district without consideration for those same reasons and in when i think of this episode in terms of the whole of the storyline up to this point i wonder what did the morrisons learn what was the what was the main lesson here What was the point is that we don't want Gilead Lane to be torn down and that's it. You might've had something in the middle about you want, like it's, we need to hold things lightly, but it's immediately followed up by, but there will be miracles that come in and your punch will overflow and your cake will be infinite. And the construction guys will have their equipment wrecked. And all of a sudden there will be a wetland that just mysteriously appears and you won't have to give up that thing you love but then you'll turn around and make other people give up the thing they love and that's justice.
1: Yeah, it's not great and no. like I think I think the point is not Gilead Lane is perfect. I think it's it's definitely like hey, look, Grace trusted God and held things lightly and God kept her safe. And I think that an ideal episode would maybe go on to say and the same is true for these people in the apartment complexes now. And eventually, Peace of Heaven just wouldn't build, period. But I think Peace of Heaven does build, and those people would be out of their homes, wouldn't they?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember what happens in the future, but I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's odd. That, so, so um, that that's my, like, I I'm, I love the big picture. I like looking back at the like the previous episodes and seeing how it all builds to a certain point. And to have the culmination of both John Fornoff and Laurie Twitchell writing in, end of very end of season nine season 10 season 11 even with the ups and downs it's always been what's going to happen how how are we going to trust god in the middle of this and then as soon as you're safe you thank god and you go about your day without concern to monica who is having all this stuff ripped ripped away from her and we're supposed to think at the end with zach like wow i guess she's facing justice for all the rules she broke (laughs)
1: <laughs> she and all the people who yeah, those, own apartments or, or apartments. rent apartments under her.
0: Yes. Right. So that, so that's my point. What did you think about this? Did you even have it be that John, maybe there's a story potential. Mincer says, we're flipping the campus. And John goes, well, that's great. What you're, you're still, you're still building. And he's like, yeah, we, we're still building. John's like, oh, and Mary goes, John, Gilead Lane is safe. And John's like, Mary, I'm hang on. And he calls up Monica. He's like, Monica. Uh, or, like, has a talk with somebody who he knows is affected by it, and we actually get, like, yeah, you can rejoice that your your lane is saved, but I didn't even want Gilead Lane to be saved. I'm sorry. The Morrisons can continue beyond past Gilead Lane. That was something we were talking about uh, a while back, I think in the ep 11-3 in that review with Austin, is that... Oh, yeah, that was a while ago. Yeah, I was... <laughs> 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 the meta, it feels like, well, it was, like, two hours ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, something I didn't really get to bring up, I think I wanted to, maybe I did bring this up, is that you can have Gilead Lane without the Morrisons, probably won't be good though, but I think the Morrisons without Gilead Lane, oh, that's that's a very interesting story. Yeah, and I brought it up then. So, yeah, I'll bring it up again now. What if we had that? Like, we could get some good story fodder out of that, but we could also get good story out of this. Unfortunately, we, I don't know what we get. So, that's my issue. And if you combine that with the Michael storyline doesn't really go anywhere. It's just him watching the other team. Oh hey, one of them overexerted himself. Oh hey, he's uh he's injured. Oh hey, he's in the game now. Oh hey, he's he's not feeling so well. Oh hey, they canceled the game. Hey, that shows that we did the right thing. Whereas we only see Michael like throw one pitch at all. Right. Yeah.
1: The the issue with Michael's story, it's not that it's a bad lesson. It's just a very passive one. It's, it's like meant to to facilitate. The, it's the Monica's. ultimate. It's the ultimate breaking of the show don't tell rule because we have the kids learn their lesson through hearing information about a kid they never meet. Learn the lesson, and so it's it's literally hear don't show, because all we get is people talking about what someone else is probably learning, and then. All of our main characters get to go through absolutely no points of conflict or struggle other than wanting to briefly do the wrong thing for like five seconds before their coach is
0: like, eh, no, don't do that. We need to re listen to the season six premiere in which Michael Morrison learned a very important lesson about rules.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And that was like, that was really good because that was, that's that's the,
0: possibly the best episode of Gilead. It's really, really, really good.
1: He dipped severely into, doing the wrong thing and doing it his way and the stress like that's that's what a good story is is Uh when it like if you want to tell a lesson a moral and show what's wrong have a character do something that is wrong but feel justified about it and the audience can even feel like it makes sense for them to want to do that like oh yeah that's logical because that's how sin is is that we never go into sin thinking this is dumb i don't want to do this we go into sin thinking, this is smart. I want to do this. This feels right. Mm. And then the point is that the problem with sin is that it causes friction. I mean, actually, the problem with sin is that <laughs> it's wrong. It separates from God. <laughs> but, but a, a, a uh, difficulty with sin is that it causes friction. Like, sin hurts us. Sin hurts the people around us. And we don't like being hurt. And other people don't like being hurt. And typically, other people tell us when they're being hurt by us. And it, ca- it causes friction. And especially when you're being raised by parents who don't want you to sin and want to raise you right, that's going to cause difficulty because with sin comes discipline. And that's what the that's what we get in that episode, is we get a character who is doing the wrong thing, feels justified in it, fights their parent, gets disciplined, learns the lesson by, by seeing somebody else in a similar scenario, and finally, like, oh, the light bulb comes on, yes. and they realize what's wrong. And then we get a heart-to-heart moment with the father and the son, and it's beautiful, and it's real. It's compelling. Yeah. It's tear-jerking. It was the clip of the day this... for
0: part three, and I distinctly yeah. remember Michael going, nothing, I, uh, I, I love you, Dad. And all the sound effects in the background and the music slowly building, it is a perfect ending to a perfect trilogy that is in the middle of an excellent series. Yes. And this isn't that. In, in fact, let's, let's talk about, let's talk about the, the quote unquote, uh, like a point when Michael like sort of learns a lesson in this episode, shall we? Sure. So there's a moment when they're playing board games They're playing a board game and Michael gets up when Justin says that there's an update and Michael knocks the board game over and he goes up over to the computer and he's like, Oh, Oh, the pitcher, he, he, he injured himself. Oh man, I feel kind of bad for him. And hope's going, well, that that's good because he won't be able to play in the game. Right. And Michael's like, I just feel really bad for the guy. Meanwhile, John exhibits no sympathy. And that's my point. It's like, what are you doing? Are you trying to have a parallel here? Then why are the good guys, why do we have no sympathy for the quote unquote bad guys in this episode? We're supposed to, I think, we're supposed to see Monica going about her, her business and go, well, 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 it finally, it finally caught up to her. And with Oh, Mr. absolutely. Yeah. Because she's the bad guy. Of course she is. But
1: I, thats I think that might be part of what, Lori Twitchell might not be thinking about yeah. as well as she should in here is that the Richters have never been supposed to be the bad guys. She's
0: supposed to know this. She's she writes great Richter episodes. What is she this? She does.
1: And like the the difficulty here is like we're supposed to be learning, like, oh well like uh, well, there is a parallel because like they're trying to tell that like the 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 ending moral is that if you don't stick to what is right eventually it comes back and bites you in the
0: end well right? here's the problem with monica is like the flip just happened to coincide with her properties it might have not had to take out her own properties it might have been anna townsend's shop instead who knows i, I will push back on it slightly oh uh-huh. we get the
1: scene where bill mincer is talking with his boss and they're clearly targeting her because they want to make her life rough. No,
0: no, 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 no. So, so Bill is saying this is going to be a problem. And Sadler's like, I don't care. He says, so what if someone gets bumped along the way? It's where you get that matters, not how you get there. And Bill Munster's like, well, she's going to lose half of her income. And he says, you play with the big boys, you get hurt sometimes. It, it seems like from the conversation, it's like they're not intentionally targeting her, but they don't care if she gets run over, if this is what they have to do. And since this is what they have to do, they don't care.
1: Okay, I'll I'll agree it's not intentional, but simultaneously, oh yeah, she is working with people who don't care about hurting people. Definitely, but in Michael's
0: situation, and I think that's in,
1: part of the folly of her actions. Well, sure, but
0: in the baseball situation, and in the what was the season's... Uh, the deal with deal with it, hothead, cold heart, uh, the best man wins in that trilogy. The point was that the consequences of that person's actions were a direct result of those actions. And in this episode as well with the pitcher, his injury is because he's overexerting himself. Here, Monica's deal with Mr. Satter and with Bill Mincer and with Peace of Heaven could have been it's either Gilead Lane or another section of Coleraine that doesn't involve Monica's businesses. It might not have even involved her. It just happened to do you see it's it's okay yeah yeah. i'll
1: agree with that okay i definitely think they could have written this a lot better to where yes (laughs) monica's cup monica's comeuppance is a direct result of her actions yes and thus we can look at it and easily say i should never do this uh corporate corporate espionage or was it espionage or was it like I guess it was more like insider trading yeah, or something. Yeah, something I
0: was going to say that. And like she yeah. she probably will face consequences for that, and that will be her comeuppance. This peop- I'm not even concerned about Monica. These people who live in these apartments, who how am I to assume what kind of a home they have set up in those apartments? Like, I want to know what's going on there. Monica losing her business. Yeah, that's a, that's a problem. We we're also dealing with plenty of families. That's a reference directly from this episode. It unfortunately, and this is speculation. Mm. It
1: seems to come from the same ideology that's forming the whole. Oh yeah, God made the water spring naturally come up because uh, He also makes punch appear and cake appear. And like, what's the feeding of the five thousand? God, right? God just does you supernatural know? things to balance stuff out. Well, that's what's happening to Monica. Supernatural things are balancing things out, and the very dangerous thing with that kind of ideology is that if you believe that then when bad things happen to people you will assume it's God trying to do it to them and you will assume they must be in the wrong because well if you're dealing with misfortune then that's because you're sinning and if you're dealing with fortune then that's because you're just that good of a Christian and the problem with that is that it's prosperity gospel it's demonstrably wrong and Upright heresy. <laughs> Downright
0: heresy? <laughs> Downright. Downright heresy. Heresy at worst. Yes. Or even that. Yeah. So I don't know that there's much more to say about this episode. I, I've i been trying yeah. to be as objective as I can about the last seven episodes if we're ending this ruined series or whatever we've called it. Um, just uh, going through this series of episodes where each one there's been something very significant we've talked about whether it's been you that's had a problem with it like 11-2 or me like last or like 11-3 or i think we all saw there were issues with that so hopefully i think the next one is fine i think 11-8 is the end of it but in this in this episode is there any are there any redeeming qualities to it that are that are like substantial and good or does it fall into the same mold of yeah it's it's not good.
1: Uh, you know, I will say I think the redeeming quality of this episode, the a lot of the issues we brought out are from very brief scenes. Like Monica's scene where she's like, Oh no, I'm in trouble. Very brief, not the main focus of the episode. The scene where John is like, Oh hey, Gilead's saved. What else? To draw out that he's going to know immediately and like connect the dots, like I I know if my house was in danger of being torn down and someone said it's not being torn down we're gonna do it somewhere else i wouldn't immediately think necessarily of oh well wait that's a problem too i might just be so relieved that my house and my home and my wife and my kids aren't in danger so while i absolutely see where you're coming from Mm. a lot of these things where it's like oh john's a hypocrite or oh monica doesn't deserve this. this 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 is disjointed it's all very brief scenes that you can draw a lot out of and have a lot of commentary on but it's not the focus of the episode the baseball thing is the focus of the episode But the
0: baseball thing isn't really anything because it's not even Michael's plot no. it's somebody else's plot That's that's my point
1: Yeah is like And right and that's not egregious it's just meh and that's that's what I think the redeeming quality of this episode is is that it's not like uh this is a terrible moral they're shoving heresy down children's throats no it was just it was an okay moral that was just very madly communicated like it's not interesting and that doesn't make it the worst thing ever it's just sort of like so mid that i don't care and that's the best i can draw
0: out of it i don't know like i'm a little mellowed on the john thing that maybe he definitely would do this maybe that just And that kind of reduces my opinion of him as a person that he'll just go for him in a domain like that. But my my issue here is is more that because this reveal occurs at the beginning of the episode and notice I haven't criticized like they put they put it right at the beginning of this episode and then the whole rest of the episode is the fallout from it. That's fine. You can construct a story around that. But because John has that reaction. And then we see many scenes with John later, in which he continues to talk about the surveyors coming to Gilead Lane and checking on the, the the the, the, the swampland or the. It feels like he's just land. kind of bragging about his yes, fortune or something. Yes, when he would have had time to have considered the ramifications of it and yeah. done what he even did previously in Good Buddy, in uh, turning down Monica. Wasn't that no? It was School Grays in in turning down Monica, uh, eventually. Um, considering what Monica's going through and having a sort of tie into that because the episode is kind of nothing. And because he keeps showing up every scene he's in, I'm seething. And I'm like, you need to sure. acknowledge this. And because we get to the end, and because there's also a line, it's just a little, this is just a, a little thing, but it really ticked me off is when, Right after there's that scene where that we played in the clip of the day, Hope has a line where she goes, oh, I hope he misses, so Colerain wins, and John in the background goes, yeah, yeah. I'm like, (laughs) wow, is that how you think about things? I don't have a good counter to that, as far as I know, because that's how this would have, I think it's a goof that the Eminent Domain would have gone through. I don't think Lori intended to make John the one behind it, but legally, that's how it would have worked. To see this happen, that's the best I can assume. Who...
1: Who wrote the episode where Mincer explained the... Al- or not Mincer, the other guy, explained the alternative?
0: It was John Fornoff. But Lori definitely okay. would have known about it. And as well, she said in the interview... Well, my question was,
1: is whether she would be infinitely aware of it. Well, she also... Because I could definitely see her writing this not being aware that this is something John should have in the
0: back of his mind. Because that's definitely how it comes across, Well, they say in the scene that, like, John even confirms it in that, in the clip of the day, Mincer says, we're flipping the campus. And then a little while later, John goes, wait, wait, so you're flipping the campus around? And Mincer's like, yeah, yeah, and Gilead Lane will be safe. So John knows that the campus will be flipped. Does he just think that there's empty space? Well, if there was empty space, why wouldn't they have just done that normally? Because they said that this was the best, most ideal situation. It was the best, most ideal because the other place was a business.
1: Not just because it no, was No, it was because then they could have the highway.
0: No, the high they they will still be able to have the highway if they flip it, won't they? Just no, in a different part of the can't
1: build, They can't they said they can't build the highway through the wetland.
0: No, I'm talking about building the highway somewhere else, but it would have to knock out a bunch of businesses, right? Um I think that's I, what I'm saying here yes, is I think I think maybe? John I think John knows that flipping flipping the campus Naturally means that somebody else is going to have to be forced out by eminent domain.
1: I don't know if I agree with that. I I could reason that even if there, like, if there was empty space, that doesn't mean that that empty space is the most ideal place for a big old, um, campus that someone wants to build. You could still build there, but that doesn't mean that it's ideal. Again, I'm going on the assertion that maybe Lori doesn't have this lore in the back of her mind as she's writing John's
0: perspective here hmm. which directly goes again it directly goes against what she told us she was doing but uh, but uh, that's Well the she most...
1: told us that she worked with um like the group on brainstorming it was four people but even if i like if like even with just us brainstorming two with two separate people on with, with Woodgrove there's plenty of stuff that i'm sure you could tell me
0: and I'd be like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Oh, there, yeah, there's there's a lot. But this is a pretty significant thing, especially since she highlights it twice in in this one where John's like, oh, so you're flipping the campus. You're flipping the campus. And then in just like another episode, that basically exact same phrase was used. And um, Reverend Brodsky was like, oh, said that. So I'll, I'll put it this way. It makes sense if that is what's going on when she wrote this, that she didn't. That she didn't realize that. And therefore, she wrote John to just be, oh, great. Now nobody's going to be in trouble. Now, now they just won't have the highway. Oh, great. That'll be fine. And turns out it's actually a problem. I'm wondering if we'll see that in a future episode where John realizes it and then corrects it. Because that'd be great. Sure. And I'm also wondering if it's been in a previous Lori episode where she's acknowledged that John knows that Flipping the Campus will take out these businesses. Either way, it doesn't work in the true continuity in the canon to have John do this, but it's an explanation as to why this happened. So do you, would you agree with that?
1: Yeah. And I agree with you as far as starting the episode out talking about all of this, it definitely feels like we were supposed to get more involvement from John. Uh, Like whether that involvement was positive or negative doesn't necessarily matter. It's a, it's a definite rule or at least a, a good practice when you're writing an episode if your first scene does anything it sets the tone for what you're going to experience no ryan and we get a
0: <laughs> what i was just thinking that you and then you're what you said exactly lined up with what i was thinking comeback mom is one of the most emotional episodes of season five and it begins with word poppers pop Ah. Word buffers <laughs>
1: <laughs> it definitely sets the tone yeah well that's a that's an example of setting the tone subversion uh, with a, with a bit of subversion, like you 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 make it emotional with a intro that doesn't make sense <laughs> it it just kicks you right in the gut,
0: yes, and the head anyway, continue
1: And <laughs> the, but no the 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 first scene being, hey, kids are watching sports. Okay, that sets up the sports part. Sports. And hey, the the issue with Gilead Lane is resolved and hey, we're doing this thing over here. I can absolutely see why you're like, Okay, I've been waiting this entire episode for John to talk about this and he's just been singing his own praises while monica cries in a corner
0: in fact there's a version difference i'm gonna go through version differences real quick there's not a lot it's about two minutes and 15 seconds there's the whole scene where john drops off michael and what's his face i, f- I forget what his name is oh matt is michael's friend where he drops him off and then the next scene where monica barges into the secretary and the secretary has really bad directing it's, I, I don't want to play <laughs> that clip wasn't a fan and then there's a couple lines when oh yeah th- this was it well there's There's two lines on the one where the team is talking. I think on the CD version they're just kind of talking over each other, and then the coach interrupts. But then on the CD, it's on the MP3, it's a little bit extended. And then the previous scene when John talks about the wetland, he's like, it's not something new. It's been there for a while, but it's a bona fide miracle. And then another line that's cut is he's uh, right after talking about who could have known about the about the like the floodgates being opened in the wetland, and then he says another reminder that God is perfect. All that stress we had. He had it covered the whole time. It's like, sure, for you, but maybe three or four (laughs) times as many people are going to be displaced by this same thing.
1: God is perfect. Instead of, like,
0: six, six,
1: seven? Yeah. Seven? What? Seven people being displaced, it's, like...
0: Nine. Nine? Yeah, so it's the Morrison family, which is seven plus hope, which is one, eight, plus grace, nine. If we don't count that Brooke and Justin have moved out.
1: Oh, okay, got it.
0: So, uh... So, yeah, even, like, combining that with the powerful... I mean, compared to these, it's really powerful. Compared to other episodes, it's fine. Hold Lightly, with John, And that whole thing about finally letting go of Gilead Lane. Nope, just kidding. You you, was, you were going to get it back the whole time. I, I don't buy that. And that's all I have to say about this episode.
1: Yeah, I, I feel like that's a common thing in a lot of Christian media. Hmm. Like, even Facing the Giants, for example. They start the movie losing football games and mm-hmm. then they become super christians and then they win the football game what i think would have been even stronger would have been if they the lost holy the hoopster. football game
0: what the holy hoopster uh an odyssey excellent episode about integrating yeah. faith with sports
1: yeah wait is that the holy hoopster
0: yeah what is he He's He prays before he makes the, the shot, and he makes it. Oh, yeah, and he loses
1: the game at the end?
0: No, I think he still wins that particular game, but I think there are other parts throughout the episode that are like, yeah, it, God doesn't make me win or lose, I'm just giving glory to God, and then I think at the very end of the episode, he ends up losing. Okay. But yeah. he gets to be a, a mentor to Camilla in that one. Ryan, Ryan uh, Cummings is who we're talking about in that one.
1: Yes. Yes. It anyway. an Odyssey episode for people. Yeah, I'm un- I'm perfectly uninitiated. fine. Uninitiated.
0: You know, I'm perfectly fine to compare to Odyssey at this point because Odyssey <laughs> did this well. Finally, we you got remember, there. You remember how I was talking about how most of Gil or all of Beth Culp's Gilead is better than like, I think 90, 85, 90% of Odyssey? Oh, yeah. These past seven episodes have been worse than 85% or 90% of Odyssey. I don't think there are many more Odyssey episodes that I think are as bad as these. And that's rough. There, it... There are are quite a few Odyssey episodes that aren't great, but there's most of the time Odyssey has a baseline quality of at least like a four out of ten. These episodes are all three and below for me, with some of them being one, possibly zero. And yeah, that's that's hard. I I wish that weren't the case. And yeah, I, I, I hope there are episodes. There's an episode coming up next season that I remember really fondly and I hope it stands up. And there are also episodes coming up that I know will not stand up and will also be threes. And this is not something that I want as much as it's been fun to it it has sort of been fun to go back through and have this this editing period of having these episodes and releasing them all in this this one little chunk. But it didn't have to be this way. You hear how fondly we talk about old Gilead and about season six and and reminiscing to that even to Odyssey and how we bring out all these little bits and pieces here and there and how refreshing it was to have Austin on. But then how I was kind of like, well. If I'm going to have integrity and talk about how I like, I hold these standards and I need to apply them fairly, that's why we went so long in talking about the humor last episode, because it's, <laughs> yeah. what, it's what we do. So in the future, this will be our standard, even if we don't go as long as we've talked here, even if there aren't extended episodes. Going back to the very first episode in this little mini series, Let Them Eat Cake, in the, our talk about objective criticism, objective criticism should inspire. It should encourage. And if you haven't been encouraged by this, well, I can't please everyone. I can't encourage everyone. But I know that a lot of people are going to walk away from this thinking, we really need to hold everything we do creatively to a high standard because good audio drama, good storytelling is always worth it.
1: And one redeeming note is that if you've heard our interview with Lori by this point, I yes. assume they probably have. Yeah. Um, She holds to that same standard. She, she holds she does. Christian writing. She doesn't think that it should be lame or boring or basic or mid. She thinks that it should be held to a high standard because, like, if we're Christians, we should be the best at making stories. And when we review these and we say some pretty critical things of them, it's not because we hate Lori and it's not because... We think that she's not capable of writing a good story. We are just objectively applying certain standards to these episodes and saying, "I don't know if they made the mark." And I think that's something that she would agree with us doing because she she wants to have her writing yeah. be up to up to not even just up to par, up to birdie or whatever. <laughs>
0: yeah. In In fact, like we we uh, we did that with Beth Culp, and we went to her and we were like, "We have yeah. these specific." questions and i tried to work into Lori's discussion some of the more uh, i guess off-putting parts but and i didn't go as far because i was like i don't know if she'd want to get into into that that deep on it and listeners to our podcast will know that we historically tried that by bringing the writer on for a review and it didn't go that well partly because of the personality of that writer and partly because we were kind of new to that whole thing and in the future in the future we'd like to i'd personally i'd like to do that again i'd like to have a, a good writer who comes on and talks about his writing, his or her writing, and is able to explain, like, yeah, yeah, and, and go back and forth and debate and say, I acknowledge maybe that wasn't the the best thing for me to write, uh, but I will stand by that one. Those are all things we want to do. And, yeah, and yeah, I'm glad that Lori espouses that standard and isn't one who's just like, it. it can, like, I know that she didn't have that standard when she was writing these episodes, so that's encouraging.
1: And I hope that when it comes right down to it, that the people listening to this, that there are some future creatives in the audience, because I mean, why else would you be listening to us? I'm sure you're all very creative people. <laughs> uh, I hope, I hope, we hope don't have sheep. <laughs> in listening to us you don't take it as this point of massive criticism that is just there for criticism. Because I've been on podcasts and, I, and when I was less mature that was the goal that I went into reviewing things with was to just criticize them like oh yeah I didn't like this this wasn't very funny (laughs) (laughs) back when you gave Legacy a 1 out of 10 I stand by that
0: (laughs) 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 oh no Ryan (laughs) no they
1: they danced on Tom Riley's grave seriously
0: yeah they kind of did Anyway,
1: that's not important, but like the point, the reason that I review things now is because I have this massive heart for good creative content he does. that inspires people. That's why we started this podcast was because yes. we were inspired by Down Gilead Lane. Uh-huh. We thought this is amazing. This is what good audio sounds like. And we wanted to sing its praises. And we did. But we also wanted to be able to point out the places where it could have been just a little bit better. And here we're seeing a pla- some places where it could be a lot better. And the point of that, that you should take away from this is not, wow, Beyond Gilead is the worst. What you should take away from it is, these ways of writing are not good. Don't do this. And then maybe these ra- these ways of writing over here are good. Here-, here are the standards. Here are the tools that I can add to my arsenal to tell good stories in the future. Whether that's a good story on audio drama, video, a YouTube or a TikTok video or even just a story you're telling to a friend, there are ways to tell stories that are compelling and intriguing and interesting to people and ways that change hearts. And there are ways that don't. That don't.
0: So one thing I've wanted to do on the podcast for a while is have an episode where we go over a top like five to 10 best episodes and bottom Ooh. five to 10 worst episodes. And uh, I, I think... I speak for both of us when we when I say that I am pretty sure the Mr. Key series is top three for both of us. Is that is that uh, an accurate representation?
1: Gosh, I there are so many episodes I would have to go through them. Yeah, possibly. Like if I could count them all as one episode, I might. Yeah.
0: Maybe. Well, I mean, even like if God had a plan, Part One is incredible. And if I were to say like, what's my what's I what do I think is the best episode of Gilead as well as my favorite, I would say yeah, it's that one. And uh guess uh, guess where that one is? It's in Beyond Gilead. It's not written by Beth Culp. Right. These episodes can be good. Yes. Guess, guess what another episode of one of one of my favorites. I think maybe in at least Beyond Gilead, uh like my fifth, sixth favorite maybe? It's a Richter for Life. Guess who wrote that one? Larry Twitchell. These yeah. can be good. We've seen that they can be good. And at the end of the day, I, I will I will reiterate, this is all to bring glory to God. And this is all like to show that this this show was made by a ministry that that did want to glorify God and did Uh, like through the, through the characters who spoke his name and through the characters who accepted Christ and through the messages, through the stories, all of that is all all that is good. All that's still there. And we want to show that Christian media that does that, that glorifies God doesn't need to be subpar. It doesn't need to be anything to be good. And yes, we have talked enough. Let's wrap this thing up
1: like a Christmas tree. you want to join us in our quest <laughs> right to make audio good again,
0: go to returntogilead.com. You can do that. Here's a challenge for you. Back when I was hosting returntogilead.com on my temporary server that only had one gig of RAM, I was able to crash the site by clicking on the same link like 20 times. Try that. See if it works. Figure out how robust no. my website is. No, no, it's not. No, my website has 24 gigs of RAM now. It's it's oh. Chad. So
1: they just had to do it 480 times.
0: Yes. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, dude, I just, I don't know. What are we reviewing next time, Ryan? Now that we're done with this I don't whole know. thing. Oh, well, next time we're doing 11-8, Something Old, Something New. Again, by Lori Twitchell. But uh, here's a preview. I like this episode. So, Yay! until next time I'm Ryan
1: And No, I'm- no, 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 no. <laughs> Yay! Until next time, I'm Ryan
0: And I'm Michael
1: Thanks so much for joining us We'll see you all in the next episode, probably <laughs> When we once again Return to Gilead